0: Betting preview podcast from pregame.com.
1: Pregame.com.
0: Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip.
1: Vegas, baby.
0: With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN.
1: Mm-hmm. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Wisconsin at Iowa. Marco, what should better be looking at? The big question
0: is, can Wisconsin avoid the flat spot after upsetting number one Ohio State? I say they can, and the reason they're playing a team in Iowa that they've got major revenge from last year, and this is going to go a long way in the Big Ten championship this game. Now
1: tell me about that revenge.
0: Last year, they at home, Iowa beat them. I uh, don't have my score right here in front of me, but they beat them, I think, by 20 points. It was a big margin. This is a game for Wisconsin last week, Everybody saw, and this is what the public's going to think, South Carolina upset Alabama the week before, and then last week went on the road to Kentucky and lost. Two differences. This is a revenge game, as we already said, but South Carolina was a favorite on the road, where Wisconsin's an underdog on the road. And when I handicap, there's different mentalities. When you're a
1: favorite, you...
0: There's Let's more angle it.
1: of an eight. More inclination to maybe be a little lax in your preparation especially if you're off a big Ab- win.
0: Absolutely but when you're the underdog you know people are telling you you're not as good so you've got something to prove and that's why I think the motivation will be there that Wisconsin will have their head screwed on straight you know and the fact they saw what happened to South Carolina you know you don't want to do that same thing so the coaches will drill that into them all week long. Wisconsin I love their offense. It's a balanced offense, running, passing the ball. They play power football. And to be quite honest with you, looking at this Iowa team, they've got a great record. I'm not totally sold on them yet. I think they're a little bit of an overrated commodity because to me, they've played two big games, Arizona and Michigan, and last week Michigan lost Denard Robinson, you know, in that game to injury.
1: Even so Iowa was outgained in that game by almost 150 yards. So Michigan, with the second string quarterback a a significant chunk of the game, outgained them 150 yards. Now, here's what's interesting. What do you think? Right now, this line's 5.5. The line is 5.5, correct. What would you say the line was in the preseason? And really, the comparison between the preseason line, the comparison between the preseason line. And the current line is really the net difference in, um, in the assessment of these teams. Right. So, for example, if both teams are one unit better, then the line's going to be the same. If one team's one unit better and one team's one unit worse, then the one team's going to be significantly more of a favor. How would you say the net opinion of these teams has evolved from preseason?
0: Coming into this season, I would have put these two teams at even, Iowa and Wisconsin. So, basically, Iowa would be home-field advantage. I would have put this game,
1: preseason-wise, about three and a half. And do you think it's legitimate? Hey, Dust, you want to hit the F-5 errors we're running? Is, do you think that it's legitimate that not only is it now two and a half points to the net favor of Iowa, but you're coming off a three. You're actually absolutely right. It was Iowa three preseason. what, What makes that, with Wisconsin off of beating the number one team, can you really say Wisconsin's underperformed, or is Iowa overperformed, or what's going on? It goes back to what I just said before you led
0: into that. I think the public perception of Iowa is overrated. I'm not thrilled with the schedule that they've played. They've beat everybody, but Arizona, the game that they went out
1: early in the season, had to travel to the West Coast they played a competitive game. I guess I'm not hearing you. Do do you think it's legitimate that I was considered now two and a half points better relative to Wisconsin than preseason?
0: I don't I don't agree with you. Why do
1: people think it? Because you're saying they're not catching the fact that Michigan outgained them one hundred fifty yards and they're overvaluing how good Arizona is, so they're making that loss less significant. What's going on I think
0: when they look at the Michigan game last week, RJ People have a tendency to just look at scores. They don't dig down into the box scores. So you're saying deceiving
1: box score Yeah,
0: I mean, what's even more deceiving is, like you said, they were outgained by 150 yards. That's a significant number. What's more significant is the fact Michigan had over 500 yards of offense. I mean, that was significant without Denard Robinson in there.
1: Now, I got to tell you, my gut feeling agrees with you, but that, that I was a little overrated and there's value with Wisconsin. Most of the stats actually go the other way, so let's talk about those. Actually, Vegas has Iowa as number nine in the country in their odds makers poll, and BCS has them 15. So actually, there's a six point difference saying, or, or six spot difference, mm-hmm. saying I was fairly underrated. Now, what's interesting. Is Wisconsin's 13 in the BCS? So I was 15, Wisconsin's 13. So they're actually saying, the BCS is saying Wisconsin's a slightly better team, which reinforces Vegas doesn't care about that stuff. Vegas trusts its opinion. So you disagree with Vegas. I mean, you wouldn't put Iowa number nine in your rank.
0: This game, as you're saying all of that, it reminded me of a game earlier in the season that we did on the videos, and that was Florida State and Miami of Florida. And it was the same scenario. Vegas and everybody else thought that Miami Well, in that Florida- case, they thought
1: both teams were underrated relatively. But
0: most people really—they were really
1: high on Miami, Florida. And I just think Iowa, they're too high on this team right Who's now. Who's we? The, the odds makers? The odds makers. Okay. Now, here's two things that fundamentally—or I guess technically make me like Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1 in 8 ATS, so only 1 out of 9 ATS in this series— so I was just beating them almost every time for almost a decade. At some point, that, that, that becomes meaningful. And this is a rivalry, you would say. Though, unless I'm mistaken, these two teams are going to be in opposite sides of the Big Ten now, the divisions, and they won't be playing on a yearly basis. So this is the last time they're going to be playing on a yearly basis. Yeah. How I have... does, that, does that make it a more important game, a less important game? What makes it an important game to me, I... Not worrying about down the
0: road. I'm looking at for this year, even if both teams have one loss, which Wisconsin has one loss coming into this game, if they win this game, Wisconsin can still
1: control their own destiny pretty much. Throughout. So both teams are motivated. Absolutely. All right, so how do you deal with the 1-8 and eight in the series? Uh, it, it's a factor that I look
0: at, but it doesn't deter me from what I see with current form on the two teams. All right,
1: Wisconsin has a great home field. We saw that against Ohio State. Wisconsin is 3-13 ATS on the road, 3 I'm sorry, 3 of 13, so 3-10 mm-hmm. on the road against winning teams. So if they go on the road and they can dominate physically, they're fine. They go against a team that's comparable to them, they, they've only covered 3 of 13, which seems to reinforce that there's a real dichotomy with them between home and road. It. I agree with the numbers that you're putting out. Are you ready to go against yourself here a little bit? No, I'm. I'm going to tell you. This is a pure value
0: play. This is a value play for me because, again, and this is almost like the conversation that we had. You know, it's like deja vu with the Florida State, Miami, Florida. I just
1: firmly believe the Iowa team is overrated. Where I think you're right, but I think that maybe the line should be three, three and a half. Oh, on a, let's say it like this. On a neutral, I'm not sure this shouldn't be pick em, but then if you add up Wisconsin being a poor road team, you add up Wisconsin off the win, it almost makes more sense to be around four, and then at that point, I'm not sure there's a lot of value. The,
0: the reason that people are looking at Iowa in this situation over the Wisconsin, they're looking at the one road game that Wisconsin had that's comparable. They went to Michigan State. And they got beat up at Michigan State. They lost by ten. The difference in that game is there was a big motivational point in that game. That was the week where the coach was supposed to come back. He was at practice. Then he had the blood clot in the leg, and they put him back in the hospital. The Michigan State yeah, head I coach. I understand. So Michigan State was playing with
1: you know, hey, you know, win one for the Gipper type thing. Or or you could say it's the opposite, which is they don't have their head coach. Well, see, that's what's dangerous. I, I liked what you did a minute ago. You said that's a valid point. That's a valid point. But I'm making a value play, and I don't. I think the value is bigger than those points. But to double back and, and rationalize that somehow, if I liked Iowa, I could say Wisconsin got beat by double digits, and the other guy didn't have the other team didn't have their coach. So there's clearly two ways to look at that, and it's dangerous, I think, to always reverse engineer what opinion you want.
0: But the situation where you you say, like, double back, you know, look at the schedule. That is a big part of my handicapping. When I go back through a, a, the
1: season logs and I go through the every and flow of the season. What, but I agree with you there. That approach and your ability to do that, I think, is elite. The The... Ability to dig a little deeper into a team's record and say, well, they really, you know, people are looking at this 10 point loss, but it was deceiving. If you go, you know, really, that's what you're saying here is that some of these results are deceiving. If you tell me that the fact that Iowa outgained Michigan or, uh, w- they were outgamed by almost 150 yards against Michigan with a second-string quarterback. That does tell me, hey, that was probably a deceiving score. But to say Michigan State not having their head coach was an advantage for Michigan State, that feels like, uh, that feels like voodoo handicapping to me. Well, we
0: can, agree, we can agree to disagree. All right,
1: so give us your official projection. I
0: have Wisconsin winning 23-20 on Saturday.
1: And, and, and let me be very clear about this, because anyone who might be a new uh, viewer of this show might say, wow, R.J. doesn't respect... Uh, they might not know it's RJ until the little thing comes up, is RJ doesn't really respect Margaret. I think you're one of the best handicappers in the world. I think what you sometimes do on the show, what we got to get away from, is you've got maybe a single reason you like a game, value, and then because we want to fill up six minutes or whatever, which we don't, because it, these can be two minutes if that's what we have to say, I don't want you to start reaching for concepts that aren't valid. So let, maybe let's just take one more minute. Do you really believe the fact that Michigan State not having their head coach was an advantage to Michigan State? Because if so, I think that Urban Meyer should skip the next game and let's see what happens to help Florida. It goes back to theories
0: that I have with the injured player theory and different concepts that we totally disagree every time that subject comes up of how teams react in adverse situations. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, again, which I'll point out where I was right, you were wrong, Kevin Cobb, for Philadelphia, I said, going on the road that week to San Francisco was going to be the best thing, and it was the best situation that he was coming back and getting the
1: starting job and the guy has been lights out both weeks since but, he got the job back. but would you say his performance in the San Francisco game was was strong? Yes, it was very strong they put they went they went downfield in that game hmm that wasn't the way I saw that, but I guess we can dig a little deeper into that they certainly won they certainly covered and won the game, okay. Good stuff, and it's good when we disagree because it allows the viewers to decide what they think. Right. And I, usually I get to see me be great. Right. <laughs> now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up we're going to be talking LSU at Auburn. LSU at Auburn. Marco, what you better be looking at? Well, obviously, Auburn has
0: one of the highest scoring offenses in the country. LSU has to slow them down to have an opportunity. And when I say slow them down, they got to slow the game down, shorten the game, and try to keep that Auburn offense on the sidelines. Because you can't score if you're not on the field. They have the type of offense that's a grinded out, so they don't have the big play. LSU does. LSU. And Auburn, as good as they are offensively, they're just that bad defensively. So I think LSU can move the ball in this game and has the best defense that Auburn's faced all
1: year. All right, so the good defense on LSU's side might be able to slow down Auburn a little bit, and LSU won't be able to compete in a track meeting is what I'm hearing, but if they're able to control the clock with their offense, they have a good chance in this game. Right,
0: and a lot of times when you have high-flying offenses, you can frustrate them a little bit when you shorten the game and shorten the number of touches that they get. Sometimes when they do get on the field, a team like that will have a habit of forcing the issue because they've been on the sidelines for seven minutes, you know, watching the other team on a 14-play drive.
1: So you, like, you actually are going to project LSU here uh, to cover?
0: I'm actually going to project the under here because really, really, in la- and it's this is a total opposite. If guys watched the videos last week, one of our plays was the over in the Auburn, Arkansas game, and that's because neither team in that game had. A defense. They both had good offenses, but neither team had a defense, and I saw absolutely no way for anybody to stop one another. The fact that Vegas put this total out at only 52, which I think when you first look at it, given that there was 100 points scored last week in the Auburn game, this is going to have John Q. Public look to
1: the over. So it felt trappy to you. Yes, it did. All right, and then you dug. Now, is it enough for you to, for a game to feel trappy, and you just fade that, or do you dig in and, and try to get a rationale in the handicap? I
0: dig into it, and in, as I set up the game plan of how I feel this game is going to go with the LSU game plan, it does dictate this game will be played in the twenties and keep this under the fifty-two.
1: Okay, now i got a stat that's going to back you up here. Eight out of ten games in this matchup, LSU-Auburn, have gone under. And I think typically when you have an intense rivalry, you look towards the dog and you look towards the under. And in this case, we we've, we've certainly are seeing it towards the under. I also am going to back you up a little bit here. Uh, now, the quarterback for Auburn, Newton, leads the SEC in rushing, but LSU's only given up 84 yards a game rushing. So it seems like that, like you said, their defense matches up somewhat well against Auburn. Absolutely. In public
0: perception-wise, right now, the start, this is hard to believe when you have two seven and O teams. But the public still doesn't buy into LSU because LSU is one of those type of teams, kind of almost like an Ohio State, their their persona is they win ugly. They stay in games, they're tight games, and they win them late. And that's not flashy. I mean, 7-0 is great. You can't get any better than that. But this is a situation where Auburn scores the points. Everybody saw what they did last week, scoring the 60-some points. I will also tell you that a lot of those scores last week were set up. One was on a special teams kickoff, and there was three turnovers that set up quick scores.
1: Now, it's interesting because this week you're actually out of, out of step a little bit with Vegas. In the prior video, we talked about how you think ah, I was overrated, Vegas actually thinks they're underrated. Now, you're saying you think LSU's a little underrated, mm-hmm. it sounds like though Vegas believes they're significantly overrated. LSU in the BCS is 6. Vegas considers them in their oddsmakers poll 14. So, and again, having an opinion against the linesmaker is how you actually get a, what you consider to be best bets. So you really are hanging your hat on that your take on LSU is, is stronger than the oddsmakers. And let me ask you, you were telling me there's really two elements, when, or multiple elements, when it comes to a matchup. How good is this team in a vacuum, and how good does this team match up against the opponent? We've been talking about the matchup so far. LSU's D should do okay against Auburn. Is do you think LSU in general is underrated, or do you think just fundamentally in this matchup they're going to perform better than expected?
0: I think this matchup makes them going to have the ability to overperform Vegas' expectations.
1: When's the last time? It's a little trivia. We rarely do it. When's the last time LSU was 7-0, if you had a guess? Probably 10 years or better. 1973. Wow. Two national championships in the last 10 years, right? They beat Ohio State and they beat Oklahoma, and they weren't ever 7-0. That shocked me when I read that. That That my No trivia moment this week. You got me there. All right, so other than, is there any other, because we've been a little thin on the handicap, any other handicapping factors on this?
0: Um. I don't have anything else in, in this game. This so it's, is one it's of those. really a
1: trappy game that you think the defense of LSU matches up fine, and you think the LSU is going to be able to control yeah. the ball. It's that My, simple.
0: It's that simple. My official play for
1: the podcast so your projection.
0: is Auburn winning the game 24 21. As I said, this game being played in uh, the 20s. So we're going to go under as the official play. You like to talk correlated parlays a lot of times, and really. If LSU is going to be in this game, this is the type of game that it's going to be. So if you work so if you like quarter,
1: LSU, take the under.
0: If you don't like LSU, you're going to look at the over.
1: Uh, or if you specifically like Auburn, okay. Right. And what a correlated parlay is is when the result of the game is is going to skew the likely result of the total absolutely okay now you talk about this being your projection but this isn't your best bet and we're actually well let me see one two three it's our fourth video and we've yet to mention seven and oh on your free video best bet this year you're undefeated undefeated and in, what game are you giving your best we're going to have in? it in
0: the nfl it's going to be on the san diego charger new england game and uh you know we've got to give some kudos to you too you hit your best bet last week it was your Best bet of the year
1: last year with uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, and I can't get any attention. I guess I'm just going to keep trying to chase you down. I don't think I'll catch up with all your experience. All right. um, Okay, so for those who... you want to get that, uh, the best bet in the NFL from Marco? It's going to be at pregame.tv. Now we're going to continue the conversation about this game in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking about our last college game this week, Oklahoma at Missouri. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. Oklahoma at Missouri. Marco, what should betters be looking at?
0: Well, this game, RJ, sets up just like the last two weeks where you've had a number one team go down. But Oklahoma's not the official number one team. They're number one in the BCS, whereas Oregon's number one in both of the other polls. But the BCS is the one that matters at the end of the year for the national championship.
1: Okay, so you've got a team that Oklahoma that really wasn't being discussed as one of the two or three elite teams that now in the public's mind is now the team to beat, which means... You know, that puts added pressure on Oklahoma, and
0: there's added, you know, public perception value from Vegas. Not value, but a... a there's a premium, right. a
1: premium on Oklahoma because of this BCS number one. And
0: absolutely. And this sets up Missouri. This is a, a big game for Missouri. These two teams haven't played since the 2008 Big 12 championship game when Oklahoma just took them out behind the woodshed and, and beat them silly. 62-21 to 21 in that game. So a little bit of revenge for Missouri. It's two years ago, but still. All
1: right, so you think other than the slight premium on Oklahoma, this line's about right. So you would have put this line at 2.5? 2, 2.5, two you know, in what we like, and we
0: saw what happened last week, you know, the setting with Ohio State. You've got to look at these Saturday night national TV games, the crowd. I mean, you think about so the
1: extra, like we talk about on Thursday games and Friday games, Saturday night game, a little extra value on the home field.
0: Absolutely, and probably even more so than those Thursday night games because you've got alumni traveling in, drinking all day, you know, tailgating, and the crowd's excited. More people can get there. You don't have to worry about getting up and going to work the next day. Those crowds are rocking. I mean, Wisconsin Stadium last week was a, a, a sight.
1: Okay, so it's you've given me, and I like that idea of the little extra value on the home field because of the Saturday night. Um, what I'm really surprised by is, well, first of all, Vegas has not bought into Missouri at all. BCS has them 11. Vegas in the oddsmakers poll has them 20. Mm-hmm. So uh, Vegas isn't buying in. Oklahoma, out of the last 21 matchups, how many of you think Oklahoma has won straight up
0: against Missouri? Probably almost all of them, but one 20 or two. out of 21. I was gonna say so you've got a
1: situation two. now where at three, it's not quite pick the winner, because I have a stickler for that. I think at two and a half you can start talking pick the winner. At three, you can't. But I mean, this is historic. Now, preseason line was Oklahoma minus 7. So it's amazing. Oklahoma is the number one team in the BCS, which means it's kind of hard for them to have done much better. And still, Missouri has overperformed where the net difference between these teams have gone down four points.
0: Yeah, and to be honest with you, I don't know how good this Missouri team is because they've really, to me, only had one real test, and that came last week on the road at Texas A&M, and they passed with flying colors. But we've seen Texas A&M is not as good. They don't have a good defense. Can they match up against Oklahoma, and can they stop this Oklahoma offense? So what's
1: keeping you off it, because you've defined the Missouri value, I think, a little bit with the home field and the premium on Oklahoma. What's keeping you off is you're just not convinced yet Missouri's an elite team. I
0: have not seen enough of Missouri to draw a complete conclusion. I am leaning to the Missouri side in this game just based on the setup. Lean,
1: lean. Lean, very lean, small. All right, and so before you give your official projection, it's pretty important to repeat this, and we'll probably say this twice a month on these videos, as a better, one of your biggest advantages is so you have control of when to put your money in action. When you have a team like Missouri, which you're saying is a handicapper, you've yet to be convinced that they're either good or bad, you don't know what they are, then you pass the game. Mm-hmm. Like if I told you Oklahoma was playing team X and I wouldn't tell you who it was, mm-hmm. it, It's kind of hard to handicap the game. You're saying you only half understand this Missouri team, so you're not going to make a bet on it. Absolutely. They're
0: definitely an overachieving team.
1: We'll find out this Saturday.
0: This will be the game that will set us up for the rest of the year. But
1: the fact, again, one of the things we do in this video is we try to give liens, even though you're not going to put money on it if someone's if someone, well, there's a couple reasons. One is if they have a strong opinion, we can be that last little nudge to help them out. Or some of the the handicapping factors we discuss can help them think through the game. So you will give a slight opinion uh, on Missouri, it sounds like. So give us your official projection. I
0: have Missouri pulling out the 28-27 win. Um, so you actually have him winning the game, getting three. Getting three. So you actually like him a little more than I thought. A little more than that, but... Well, is to me? Is it enough for me to actually pull? You the want trigger? to bet this game? Pick them? Um, no. <laughs> Come on! Give me! A, I've been losing a few of your. I know. I, I like having your thousand in my pocket. <laughs> it's probably still there. Uh, you know, I I curl it up with me at night when I go to bed. Oh, just RJ's money.
1: I'm leaving it at that. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking Sunday NFL action. Patriots at San Diego, and here we are, folks. Marco D'Angelo with his best bet video free pick of the week going for his eighth straight winner, undefeated this year, on his video best bet free picks. Marco, what should batters be looking at in this game? Well, obviously people are going to look at this game,
0: they're going to look at the San Diego Chargers and say, what's wrong with them? Because it's been a train wreck with Norv Turner this year. They're not as bad as they look. And I'll tell you why back at home, they're going to be the right so side. So no, you're saying
1: San Diego underrated. and
0: I, So why? Well, first off, San Diego, for whatever reason, they cannot play on the road. Their two home games this year were both blowouts. One was against Seattle, which, you know, supposed to be.
1: Which against Seattle would just be Chicago, right? On they the did. road. They did.
0: And the other one was against Jacksonville, which we saw how bad Jacksonville looked Monday night. But they lost their starting quarterback in that game. I like San Diego. Jacksonville to, lost starting quarterback in the Monday night game. in the Monday okay. game this past week. I like San Diego here. This is going to
1: be New, new now, I, uh, Hold on. Why is San Diego? So we, what? I hear you saying is is it, is it the home road dichotomy? This is a team that has that, but I like the matchup in this
0: game of the San Diego Charger offense against the New England Patriot defense. All right,
1: so this is, again, we talked about this in an earlier video. It's not so much you think San Diego is significantly underrated. You're saying in this spot, at home, and in this matchup, you like it.
0: And I've got a ton of situational things that I use that are negatives for New England in this
1: game. All right, so first let's talk about this San Diego's uh, favorable matchup. How do you see that being the case?
0: New England defense is bad. The best quarterback that New England's faced this year was last week, Joe Flacco. And I and, know you
1: don't like Joe well, Flacco. i got to tell you something. I, want, I was, you know, it's funny. I was um, texting you <laughs> early in the season when he was throwing the interceptions. I actually felt it to the bottom of my soul. But i got to tell you, after the Pittsburgh game, and it wasn't so much that last drive, and again, give him credit for that in that game, is, you know, the guy has certainly become a slightly, at least a slightly above average quarterback. But go ahead.
0: The New England defense has been getting torched all year. And as we said, I think Flacco was the best quarterback that they had faced to date. And he threw for 278 last week against New England, completed 27 of 35. And that was given the fact that New England had two weeks to prepare for him. New England was coming off a bye week. And under Belichick, New England is, I think, like 8-0 straight up off of Belichick in a bye. They're going to face Phillip Rivers this week and this is going to be the best quarterback that they've faced. So you're saying that wise.
1: you're saying that New England because specifically the, the the offenses they've faced that their defense actually has been um their weakness has not been uncovered or exposed yet. You're saying they're weaker because you've been hearing all year that New England's not a good defense. You're saying they're actually worse than you th- than people think. Buffalo scored 30-some points on them mm-hmm.
0: with Fitzpatrick. Com- now, you know, now let
1: me ask you a question. I, I, I was watching the Steeler game on an online stream against the Browns. You can see what kind of Steeler fan I am. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching the New England game on the big screen uh, with the sound down. i got to tell you, here was a general sense I got in that New England game that it's almost like a college team with a lot of underclassmen coming into their own in the second half of the season. I felt like that Belichick's been drafting a lot of talent, a lot of youth, and I got a feeling this is going to be an upward-trending team. And I felt like last week might have been, on the defensive side, indicative of this team trending upward. You didn't see that. Uh, I...
0: Actually talked about that very fact on Mike and Dan and Gil's show on Friday when we broke down the NFL. And for those
1: that don't know, you can go to pregamepodcast.com and get all of these audio podcasts, and there's actually two daily shows that we do, and they're both worth listening to. I
0: have said, as this season progresses, this defense is going to get better. But given the big jump in class, I feel that they're facing this week with the Chargers. And then the two... Um, Emotional factors that I'm going to factor in. Last week was a huge, huge revenge game for New England. It was playoff revenge. You cannot underestimate the value of playoff revenge because teams, you know, you remember who ended your season. That sticks in your, you know, your crawl Mm -hmm. all off season. So they got their playoff revenge. They had two weeks to prepare for it. They also had the factor, you've heard me talk about the injured player theory, and I treated the Randy Moss trade, almost like Mm. the injured player theory. You
1: go with them the game, the first game without them. Everyone rallies together. Rallies together. Then you go against them. Then the public readjusts. Hey, they didn't need Randy Moss. I like that. That makes a ton of sense to me. Here's what does it. (laughs) This game should be pick them. I got to tell you, when I looked Mm -hmm. at this game, I was like, I was ready to bat it right away. And on the New England side, because to me, really three saying these are even teams – and, I mean, it's hard to imagine that that's what anyone thinks. So it feels trappy, it, or I guess the question is, is, does it feel trappy to you? Well, absolutely. The public perception, I, I, I love to sit and look at
0: public perception. The public perception cannot be any lower on the San Diego Chargers than it is right now. The only team that might be a lower public perception is the Dallas Cowboys, and we'll talk about them later. But this team's at their lowest point, given last week's win, New England came from 10 back in the final quarter to send that into overtime and win it in overtime. Their public perception's higher. San Diego's lower. This and the fact that it came out three told you Vegas wanted a bunch
1: of pats action.
0: When you looked at that and saw three, you said, oh, my God. You know, I saw
1: value. I looked at that and I said, that's a Marco play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a few other points. ESPN has New England third in their rankings, Vegas ninth, so Vegas hasn't bought into New England as much as the as the experts at ESPN has. ESPN has San Diego. What do you think? San Diego's got to be just falling down the charts. Uh, Twenty four, and Vegas has them ten. Vegas believes that San Diego, and they were four last week. Right. Vegas believes San Diego is a good team. In fact, the line makes total sense. Really, Vegas says New England's nine and and San Diego's 10, and then if you take in a few, so the fact that three makes a ton of sense. What well, you're saying, so Vegas is really saying, yeah, we do disagree on this about how bad you think San Diego is, and come on and give us New England action. And, and so it, you're in line with Vegas here, which you actually haven't been in some of the other spots. What do you think San Diego's ranked on defense statistically? San Diego? Mm. Surprisingly, I'm going to say it's not as bad as you would think because they're Achilles Hills. Number one. They're Achilles Hills special teams. They're number one yards per game on defense. What do you think they are on offense? They're going to be top 12. Four. So this is the number one defensive team, Mm -hmm. the fourth best offensive team, and ESPN thinks they're the 24th best team. That's the, the essence here, I guess, is when you look at San Diego as a fantasy team, as a statistical team, they're great. But a lot like the Cowboys, it doesn't seem like they can put it together on the field. And, and clearly what the public likes to point to is coaching. That doesn't scare you here. It, it doesn't scare me. I, I like the, the home field here. I'm
0: going to say one thing about the San Diego Chargers, and when I say this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Do you remember a couple of years ago how bad the Steelers' special teams was, the kickoff returns? Yes. This San Diego Charger special teams is worse than that one.
1: And still. And still. So really, this is pretty much you saying, I think Vegas wants Pat's action too much and I'm not going to give in. I'm not giving in, no. All right. Now the line is drifting down to two and a half in some spots, which to me is great because now you're starting to get some value too. You're getting some value, and it's confirming what my perception is. John Q. Public is going to pound in pads. Yes. All right. So what's your official projection?
0: I've got, and this is my best bet: San Diego thirty-one, New England twenty-three. We're going to take the Chargers. Go,
1: Bolts. All right, now, one thing to be a little concerned about is, from what I read, and again, it's Wednesday here, we're taping, is that San Diego has some cluster injuries potentially at wide receiver. And a cluster injury, as you know, is when there's multiple injuries at one spot to the point that the depth is hurt by such a degree that it has more effect than just having one guy out. You can have cluster injuries with defensive backs, with linemen, et cetera. Do you have any extra insight come Wednesday or um is this one you think it's in the line or how are you looking it's, at it? It's in the line right now. This
0: is one where you might get some a little more adjustment closer to game time whenever they, you know, officially rule guys out. Friday's the day the practice day when they update the injury reports that you'll have, you know, downgrades or upgrades. So you have to wait till Friday. But I think the what will even it out is that uh, New England secondary will, will even out the, the cluster injuries for the Chargers. All right, official projection. I already said it.
1: Thirty-one twenty. Thirty-one twenty. Wow. I, I guess he's hot lights. <laughs> getting to me a little bit. All right. Now, not only are you given your best bet and going for your eighth win in a row, we're actually given. Every week in one of our videos, one of our best bets, we give ten dollars away for anyone that wants to get an actual game day best bet. And the late information helps, and that's where you actually won twenty five straight baseball games this year. Uh, give us the coupon.
0: Coupon is the word going and the number four eight all together. Going four eight, and that's what we're doing. We're so going. So G
1: O I N G number four number eight. Oh, so you didn't spell F O R. I so, would have spelled F O R well, it's it's like the you know, the vanity it's license like plate. It, like Steve Sanders. Did you ever watch Beverly Hills 90210? That, you were like in your mid thirties when that was on. <laughs> oh my but god. the <laughs> but he had a license plate that said I eight A four R E and he had like a, a Lamborghini or something. Oh my god. <laughs> so give me, give
0: us a coupon one more time. Go the word going, the number
1: four eight. We're going four eight in a row, guys. If you're listening on audio, this is the best reason to convert to video because we actually, when Marco makes these convoluted coupons, we actually flash it on the screen so you can read it. So if if you're having trouble on this, go to pregame.tv and watch the video and you're going to know. All right. And you can continue the conversation with us in the comments section. And next up, we're going to Sunday Night Football. Marco's favorite, Brett Favre, travels back to Green Bay. For free, real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit PregameLines.com. The Vikings with Brett Favre going back to Green Bay Sunday night football. Marco, what you better be looking at? Coming into this season, Green
0: Bay was many people's favorite, including me, to go to the Super Bowl. Injuries have just absolutely decimated this team. I thought this was going to be the game at the beginning of the season that... Aaron Rodgers finally got that monkey off his back and beat Brett Favre, but it's not going to happen. He's going to have to wait till later in the season. Brett Favre's going to beat him again. All right. So what what's the most recent line on this baby? Uh, I've got the game at Green Bay minus two and a
1: half, and the totals forty four. See, that's what throws me. Is I would have, you know, it's it, the I'm seeing the game open three. I would have liked the Vikings at three. In fact, specifically, Vegas has been really back in the Vikings throughout this year even during their down their bad performances. ESPN has them 17th. The Vikings. Vegas has them 5th, the 5th best team in the country or in the in the NFL. I I'm not sure I disagree with that 5. But my question is if that is true, what is Green Bay right now and is it worth Coming off that three, meaning is Green Bay, you know, if Green Bay was maybe 12th or 13th, then you could make the case, okay, fifth versus 12th, that's where the half point comes in. Where would you put Green Bay amongst the 32 teams right now with their current injury situation? Well, with the current injury information, they're absolutely a middle-of-the-run
0: team in my opinion.
1: Really? So like half the teams in the league would be favored on a neutral over them? I'd say I'd put them 12th. All right, so then the two and a half does make sense. Okay, so really, you're just, this sounds like for you a pure value play, is you're saying the public's not properly considering the injuries, though they are considering them, because let's be honest, er, early in the year, this line would have probably been three and a half. I mean, mm-hmm. Green Bay, I mean, the Vikings were like 19 to one to win the Super Bowl entering the year, and Green Bay was like eight to one. Right. So this line would at least been 3.5 entering the year. Now it's 2.5, but you're saying that one point isn't even enough to adjust for those Green Bay injuries. This one,
0: I'm looking at it fundamentally-wise. The Packers are not going to be able to protect Rodgers. The offensive line is just not giving him any protection. This Minnesota defense is good, and they will shut down Green Bay. What I like is Minnesota, I expect a big game out of Adrian Peterson. If Favre can put his ego aside and try not to do too much in this game, which is going to be tough for him going back into Green Bay, we know how Favre is, but if he doesn't make the mistakes and try to throw into double coverage like he likes to do, they can win this game with Adrian Peterson pounding the rock and Favre doing just what's necessary to win. Fundamentally, Minnesota's a better team at this point in time.
1: So does Rodgers, one, Rodgers has been taking some heat for losing close games. Colin Coward's been killing him. And I think it's legitimate. This talk I mean, literally into the preseason that Rodgers was one of the, the third or fourth best quarterback in the league and that he was better than Big Ben and, and it's like what what has this guy done? I mean he looks he's one of, like in baseball. Guy might be six four, he has a good looking swing, but it's about, it's ultimately about performance is has this guy I'm I'm he's certainly an above average quarterback but I, he's yet, especially in the big games, to show himself to be elite. Is there potential here for him to feel like because of the injuries he has to do too much? Usually far falls into that trap. Could Rodgers? I don't think so. I think
0: the, the problem with Rodgers is, and I've seen a lot of the Green Bay games this year, and I'll be honest, I am a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. I have yet to be able to see a quarterback that
1: can throw from on his back. He has had no... See, that's what, that's what Colin's been saying, is everyone's got an excuse. The guy's like three, and I, don't quote me on this stat, like three and, and ten in games decided by ten or seven points or less. Well, that's a,
0: the stat is what it is, but you could also look and say if this team,
1: with any other quarterback, when they you Except in they instance. went, and we're going back a couple years now, but they went to the championship game the year before with Favre, and then the net went with his last year in Green Bay to the NFC Championship game correct. with home. And the next year they were like five wins. They've yet to win a playoff. I mean, Favre w- w- wins playoff games wherever he goes, almost. And with the Jets, it was a slight exception. And then, and and again with Minnesota, now it's you know last year again a championship game. For, and and Rogers hasn't won a playoff game. You're correct. I have to tell you, you're correct. I think you have a crush.
0: I, I do like a little that. man crush. I do like looking at the two shot. Well, it, it's say I,
1: Mark. I have a man crush on well, Aaron I just what I really is, I don't like Brett Favre. Oh, so, <laughs> okay. so you don't really? It's almost like Kelly or Donna back to nine hundred two one oh. zero, or 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 uh, Brenda. It's like you hate and one so much.
0: I it goes back to the uh, go back to the San Francisco forty nine ers. I like Steve Young better than Joe Montana. In you're Ann working R- class. Aaron Rodgers is the Steve Young, the modern day Steve Young. Waited in the wings for his turn. Your dad was a butcher. He was. He was a butcher.
1: And 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 back in the day, job.
0: Back in the day, you 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 might have found been found in pieces out in the desert. (laughs) You keep making jokes like that.
1: (laughs) The underdog in this series, Minnesota Green Bay, a classic matchup, has covered seventeen of twenty-two games, seventeen and five.
0: That makes sense to me when you say something like that, because we talked in one of our earlier videos about, you know, a tendency or a culture. You hit the nail on the head. Minnesota-Green Bay is an intense rivalry. Probably the only rivalry bigger in that division is Green Bay and Chicago. This is a hard-hitting, you know, rivalry, almost, you know, like a Pittsburgh-Cleveland-type rivalry. Having the dog cover makes sense to me in a in a series like that.
1: When you say Pittsburgh Cleveland, you mean Pittsburgh Ravens, right? Cle- the old Cleveland, because <laughs> Pittsburgh Cleveland is like a a nineteen year old beating up an eleven year old.
0: Well, it seems like every year though, and you got to admit it, RJ, Cleveland one of those two games gives Pittsburgh a scare.
1: Well, <laughs> that's the that that. that <laughs> <laughs> that's the moral victory is they're within seven entering the fourth quarter once.
0: You're, you always put out that one stat about Pittsburgh how they went
1: you know like an entire season. They still season have like, they've yet to be down more, more than, seven than seven points. The only team that they were. Yeah, that's true that, that, <laughs> but that was the first time Cleveland beat Big Ben his whole career. True. So I mean clear, clearly Big Ben's done well against Cleveland. All right one other point this whole Favre Rogers thing last year Favre and Rogers combined had 12 touchdowns in this matchup and one interception. 12-to-1 ratio. So clearly they both ro- uh, rose, ro- rose rose, right? to the occasion. They, they rose, to the, rose their games. They didn't rise their games, right? Risen, rose, rose. Okay. They rose their games, and I don't see any reason that wouldn't happen again this year. Here's the one thing before you give your official projection that causes me to pause a little bit. The Vikings just aren't a good road team. And I think what's happened in the NFL is there's been such a diminishment of home field advantage in most stadiums. And what happens is, think about it, if the home field is less at New England, let's say, and that's something Mm -hmm. Bill Simmons talks about is New England's new stadium is nowhere near the home field the old one used to be. Okay. Road teams are going to look better relatively not so much that they 're traveling better it 's just whatever that advantage used to be is no longer there, so the whole idea of minus three at home and minus three on the road, maybe it starts to narrow a little bit or plus three on the road, maybe it starts to narrow a little bit now, where it 's not a six point disparity. If that is the case, which I kind of think it is across the league, Minnesota has one maybe the number one home field, if not, one of the top three or four home mm-hmm. fields left in Minnesota. Which actually makes it where they're going to look like a better team because they do have that dominant home, and really on the road they're one in five ATS last six. This isn't a very good road team, and and I think that effect of the Metrodome actually makes it where you don't really get a sense of it as much because they were playing so much better at home in a way that typically because of the lack of home field, the the other teams that play so well. You know, it, let, last year Minnesota was what? Were they 12-4 and four or mm-hmm, 13 You like might that. think, well, that's just a good team. But really, if they're that good at home, their road wasn't that good. You know, 5-3 mm-hmm. five, five and three or whatever. is I just think they're a weak road team, which makes me worried getting less in the field goal. It, it's a good point, but I'll,
0: I'll punch you with two of their road games this year. They were in bad situations. They opened the season on a Thursday night. With they the played Hoos well up. in that game. Against New Orleans. And New Orleans, Orleans might Super have the number one home field. Defending Super Bowl champ, you know, all that extra excitement for that opening game. And then they played on the road on a Monday night in a rainstorm in, at the Jets where that final score is totally misleading because yeah, they yeah. ran a pick six well, back had, in the final minute.
1: They had a drive down by two to, but, to win the game.
0: So it's a situation that they really haven't looked as bad as the final scores might indicate. Give us
1: your official projection.
0: I've got, and it really pains me because I don't like Brett Favre, Minnesota 23-21.
1: All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation with Marco and me in the comments section. And next up we're going to talk about my weekly best bet off my Game of the Year winner last week. And guess what? It's a Cowboy game. Monday Night Football next giants at cowboys monday night football it's my best bet first though marco what should batters be looking at in your opinion
0: they got to figure out if dallas has tossed the towel yet or not or because it is monday night football and a division game let Do me have,
1: let me answer this one for you go ahead if you have a in my opinion if you have a good coach and your back's against the wall that's when a team plays best when you have a bad coach and your back's against the wall, that's when there's pointing in the locker room, when there's players start looking out for themselves. All the dysfunctions that you see once a team, and we talk about this in college, loses that game, which makes their seasonal goal not a possibility. Clearly the Cowboys, with the Super Bowl in Dallas, had high expectations, To me, they're in a historically almost impossible situation, especially now that the NFC East has actually shown itself. You know, it's been a real seesaw with the NFC East. Early season, people thought they might have been the best, or preseason, the best division in football. Then after a couple weeks, people were like, no one's very good. The Giants, which we'll talk about, have stepped up. Philly has stepped up. Washington's proven themselves to be pretty good. Dallas could be the worst team in the division, and I don't think they have much chance at playoffs. And if it's going to be pride, you can forget about it. Well, I agree with every, almost every point that you made. I
0: am not a fan of Wade Phillips, and I think the, the big issue with them this year is not so much the leadership. He has no discipline over this team. They're, they're making the same mistakes. We, you know, it's one thing to make a mistake, but when you do the same thing two weeks in a row – that's just lack of discipline. You've got to learn from your mistakes. And I'm talking about the celebration penalties that they had in the games, and it cost them the week before. The other thing is they are a 1-in-4 team, but do you realize the four losses
1: all have been by seven points or less? That's the whole point is that this is a team, statistically, they're the number one defense in football. Vegas considers them the eighth best team in the NFL. ESPN says they're the twenty-sixth. Vegas says they're the eighth.
0: Hey, have you noticed one thing with the when we do the polls? ESPN's
1: poll to me is almost like John Q. Public. It's reactionary. They, that poll was with the that's eyes. why I use it. And again, I think part of it is in the, the John Claytons of the world don't know better because they, they clearly are high experts. They probably know the NFL better than the odds makers. It's that I think that with the 24-hour news cycle, you've got to talk about you can't, like Imagine if John Clayton went on after the Cowboys lost two or three games and said, listen, there's a randomness to the NFL. There's been a couple bad bounces. The Cowboys are no worse of a team. You know, like For example, Vegas has Alabama as the third-best team in the country, even after they lost because they say, hey, they lost the game. It was a tough scheduling spot. It doesn't change how good this team really is. But if if the ESPN guys did that, there wouldn't be anything to talk about. So I think the whole zig and zag of all this is partially, and I don't even know if they're doing it consciously, is they've got to talk about what just happened, and I think they overemphasize it. They do, and from
0: just a general 30-second handicapping tip, I think that's why a lot of handicappers really do struggle with the NFL. They say it's one of the hardest sports to handicap. And I'm on the other side of the fence with that because I think there's so much value because there is no sport of any of the sports that we cover that public perception is more evident than in the NFL in building into the lines. With and, the and, odds and, and to
1: me, there's two ways, and, and just two weeks ago on the ESPN in Los Angeles, I do a weekly spot. Uh, on Friday with them they say what's the what's the hardest sport to handicap and I tell them actually the NFL if you're a public perception reader where you get a sense of the public perception and take advantage of their misperception the NFL is the number one sport for that and college basketball in a small conference is going to be the number one sport for purely handicapping who's going to have a better chance of winning mm-hmm. and assessing that better than the lines makers. So if you're someone that likes to fade public perception or misperception, the NFL, I think, is number one. I think you hit the nail on the head with calling it mis- you know. Perception. But sometimes it's misperception, yeah. for sure. Um, I actually don't just – I'm just not fading the Cowboys here. I actually like the Giants. And in a classic handicapping scenario is when a team has a lot of turnovers early in the year, and we all know in the NFL that really results in losses, that, that typically that's going to even out throughout the year and that there's gonna, they're likely underrated. Because of those turnovers, and the Giants really have had one really bad game on national TV against the Colts that a lot of people remember, and then they had the the turnover game the next week where they actually outgained the team, and I can't it might have been the Redskins, I can't remember exactly what the game. They played. Uh they lost, I guess it was, they lost to Tennessee. They lost to Tennessee. Bad. It was it Tennessee. That mm-hmm. was it. And it was a situation that they actually dominated uh, the yardage and lost the game. And really, this team has played really well since. I think it's a situation where they're undervalued. And if you're telling me, really at three, you're telling me the Giants and the Cowboys are even teams, not to mention the fact that I think Dallas isn't, their backs aren't against the wall anymore. I think they've likely, like we said, become dysfunctional. I think there's a ton of value on the Giants, and that's going to be my official best bet this week, is taking the Giants to actually win the game straight up 24-20.
0: at this point, I have no opinion on the game, but I'm going to do your role and play devil's advocate right. with you and fire some things out. I'll give you a stat here and see if this ball is Okay, you. We
1: have, we're out of time. Oh, wait. Go
0: ahead. You've got the Giants. There's no question that they're playing better than people thought they would play. But if you break down their season and look at the games, they've scored 31, 34, and 28 points against the Carolinas, the Houstons, and the Detroits of the world. But in the three games that they played against teams with winning records, which would be... Who, how's that pertinent here? Okay. But we all, again, Dallas has a good defense. I don't think the Giants defense. are
1: one of the top five teams of the, in the kind. But, the but my point
0: is they've only scored 14, 10, and 17 points against Indy, Tennessee, and Chicago. It goes back to where do you really put the Dallas Cowboys in... In that mix.
1: And, again, I think that if you're looking at their ability to win a close game, I think they're in the bottom half of the league. You know, I think this, to me, this is almost a pure value play uh, both ways. I think the Giants are slightly underrated, but just slightly. And I think the Cowboys are probably two units overrated. I think that, to me, the Cowboys might be 18th or 19th. So I'm in between Vegas and ESPN. I think the, the Giants might be 12th. And if you give me a superior team at home, or on the road getting three, and here's my last point. The Giants have covered 10 of 13 against the Cowboys. This is a big divisional rivalry. The Coughlin just has dominated, and I'm getting three, and there's a small chance the Cowboys could just fall apart. I mean, I don't know if it's a 10 or 20% chance. They might lose this game by 30 and completely give up.
0: One thing, when the risk you run if you take a team like Dallas when things have been going bad is it is a snowball effect. If the first Especially thing goes- when the
1: character is a question question.
0: Absolutely. If one thing goes bad in this game and Giants get a quick score off something, you can't have a team just fall apart. Any other? I shot that
1: one down pretty quick. Anything else?
0: <laughs> That's it, sir. I'll let you have your spotlight. Right.
1: <laughs> now it's your turn to continue the conversation. Maybe you guys can shoot holes in this game a little better than Marco. <laughs> Speaking of that, though, if you haven't watched it, Marco is going for his eighth straight best bet winner. That's available at TV. On this game, you can continue the conversation in the comments section. That's it for this week, and we're going to be back next week breaking down the biggest games from a betting perspective. See you then.